This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up. This is Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. I want to start out today by wishing everybody a happy new year. And you know what? We are still unprecedented. So what a difference a year makes. One year ago, the Federal Reserve was forecasting that real GDP would grow a strong 4% in 2022. The PECE prices would be up a relatively moderate 2.6%, and that we should expect a grand total of three 25 basis points hikes, that would be a quarter of a percent three times, rate hikes by the end of the year. Instead, it looks like real GDP will be up a half a percent. PECE prices will be up 5.6%, and we had the equivalent of 17 25 basis points, or that would be one quarter of 1% Fed rate hikes, finishing the year at 4.375%. So if you feel a little dizzy about all this, imagine how the Fed feels. For 2023, the Fed is forecasting another year of a half a percent real GDP growth, inflation of 3.1%, and the unemployment rate rising at 4.6%. As for Fed policy, the dot plot shows another 75 basis points of rate hikes in 2023, and no planned cuts. But we think growth will undershoot the Fed's forecast in 2023. Instead of growing at a half a percent in 2023, we expect that real GDP will shrink about a half a percent. Meanwhile, we think inflation will overshoot, ending next year above 4%. And sure, inflation moderates in 23, but not as much or as fast as many expect. So what does this mean for the Fed? While others obsess about short-term interest rates, we think investors and the Fed should pay more attention to the money supply. M2 in particular. The M2 surged in 20 and 21, hitting a peak of 27% year-over-year growth and rising a cumulative 40%. But in the past year, M2 growth has hit a wall, and it's up just 1% from a year ago. If accurate, this means economic activity is likely to slow very sharply and soon. However, we think some of this decline in M2 growth is because the Treasury General account at the Fed, which is the Treasury's checking account, grew from $100 billion at the end of 2021 to a current level of $600 billion. In other words, the Treasury has extracted roughly $500 billion of M2 from taxpayers and bond buyers and put it aside in an account that does not count as M2. If we adjust M2 for this sleight of hand, M2 is up roughly 4% in the past year, not 1%. We also can't rule out the possibility that measurement error has led to the Fed miscalculating M2. If M2 was really slowed to 1% in the past year, it's hard to figure out how total bank credit is still up more than 7% from a year ago. 
And if their calculations are true, the dramatic slowdown in M2 growth in the 22 would be entirely consistent with a recession starting sometime in 23. But so far, we don't see evidence of any large squeeze in overall economic liquidity. Lurking in the background of all these forecasts is the fact that we are in unprecedented times. Forget COVID lockdowns. Every prior episode of inflation in the post-World War II era was accompanied by the Fed operating in a scarce reserve system, whereby it would tighten monetary policy by draining reserves in the banking system to make short-term interest rates move higher. Meanwhile, those reserves would generate zero income for the bank unless they lent them to other banks. But now, for the very first time, with high inflation, the Fed is operating in an abundant reserve system, trying to tighten monetary policy by directly paying banks higher interest rates to hold the copious reserves that well exceed banks' needs. The continued growth in bank credit suggests that so far, this experiment in monetary policy is not quite going according to plan. Interest rates all along the yield curve remain well below every economic model of neutral rates, i.e. the Taylor Rule. The Fed has held the federal funds rate below inflation for 90% of the past 13 years. This is all part of their unprecedented policies that investors must analyze and deal with. So put it all together, the only thing we're confident about in the, is that whatever happens in 2023, it will likely look very different from what the Fed is forecasting. And so I'm going to give a lot of economic reports that actually a lot of them were available a week ago, but because we didn't do a show on Christmas Day, you're going to hear some of these things. You may have heard them, but uh, we have not reported them, so we're going to go ahead and include them in today's show. We're going to start out talking about the third quarter final GDP report. And the final report of the third quarter real GDP was revised higher to a 3.2% annual rate versus an estimated 2.9% made a month ago. The upward revision to the overall number was due to an upward revisions in consumer spending, business investment, and government purchases, which more than offset a downward revision to inventories. We also got our second look at corporate profits for the third quarter, which were revised higher. Economy-wide profits in the third quarter showed a modest decline, but it was entirely due to lower profits reported by the Federal Reserve Banks. If you take out Fed profits, as we do with our capitalized profits models, and profits rose 3% from the second quarter, they are up 8.9% from a year ago. Our capitalized profits model suggests that U.S. equities are roughly fairly to slightly overvalued today at current interest rates, although we believe equities will remain range-bound in a bear market with lower lows ahead until we eventually hit a recession, most likely starting sometime in 2023. And although some investors think a recession has already started, given two straight quarters of negative real GDP growth, we saw the first two quarters of this year, we don't think that's right, given the relative strength of other reports showing continued job creation. Low unemployment claims and growth in industrial production. Moving forward, we expect declines in corporate profits as the economy continues to renormalize after the massive fiscal and monetary stimuluses of 2020 and 21. In turn, this will be a headwind for equities, like the headwinds this year due to rising interest rates. Regarding monetary policy, the inflation news shows that the Federal Reserve still has some work to do. The GDP inflation 
was revised higher to a 4.4% annual rate in the third quarter versus prior estimates of 4.3%. And GDP prices are up 7.1% from a year ago, nowhere near the Fed's 2% target. Meanwhile, nominal GDP, which is real GDP growth plus inflation, rose at a 7.7% annual rate in the third quarter, is up 9.2% from a year ago. In other news, on the employment front, initial unemployment claims rose 7,000 last week to 225,000, while continuing claims rose by 38,000 to 1.710 million. Combined, these figures suggest that job growth remains positive, but not nearly as strong as it was earlier this year. Okay, I'm going to stick in a quick little announcement here, a quick little summary here, just because I, I don't have time for a full number of another economic report. Got a report out here this week that said, according to data from the Center Square, Washington State's gas taxes sit at the fourth highest in the U.S., We trail only Nevada, California, and Hawaii for the most expensive fuel. A lot of the cost is due to our high gas taxes, but the price per gallon is due to a shoot-up in January of this year. They're due to shoot-up in January of next year, 23. According to data from AAA, Washington State's average gas price for regular unleaded was $3.88 a gallon, which is actually down $0.06 from a few weeks earlier. San Juan County has the highest prices with an average of $4.39, while Skagit County is on the average of the lowest at $3.30. Comparing states, Texas has the lowest average in the U.S. at $2.64 a gallon. And our prices are going to rise sharply next year. We just don't know how much. We do know prices will rise due to an initiative that ironically voters passed in 2018, Initiative 1631, allowing the creation of a carbon tax with a system of carbon credits being issued to polluters based on supposedly on their environmental impact. However, it's very likely that few voters who approved it realized that it would involve a low-carbon tax standard similar to California four years later that would raise our gas prices. According to the Tax Foundation, how much prices will rise is yet to be seen. There's a wide variety of estimates ranging from 4 to 5 cents a gallon. According to the Washington Policy Center, advocates who testified in favor of the fuel standard pointed to claims made by California and Oregon said it would only be 2 or 3 cents a gallon. And then we've raised up to say it would be at least 5 cents in the first year. The Washington Policy Center said in August this year that by the year 2031, the fuel standard is going to add at least 19 cents a gallon to the price of our fuel. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. The winter savings continue at Linden Sheet Metal. The holidays are over, but it's not too late to buy a gift for your home and save money while doing it. Linden Sheet Metal has furnace, air conditioner, and heat pump discounts up to $900. Utility rebates up to $1,500. And beginning January 1, there are tax credits up to $2,000 off. And it doesn't end there. Showroom fireplace models are discounted 40%, and new fireplaces are $300 off installation. The benefits of a new energy-efficient fireplace, heating, or cooling system will help you save on future energy bills and can increase the value of your home. Call Linden Sheet Metal today to schedule a free estimate. Our consultants will come out and find the best solution for your home. We also offer easy financing with low monthly payments. Now is a great time to upgrade your home. Linden Sheet Metal, serving the Northwest for over 80 years. 
Are you looking for health insurance? Is 2023 the year you finally retire? Maybe you are unable to make a change to your plan during the annual enrollment period. Hi, this is Marcia Neal at Vibrant USA. Special enrollment periods may allow you to still make a change to your insurance plan for 2023. Whether you have questions about Medicare or individual health plans, the friendly agents at Vibrant USA can help. Give us a call, 866-733-5111 and put us to work for you. Hello, folks. Are you ready to get your estate planning affairs in order, but you don't know where to start? Would you like to hear about the difference between wills and trusts? Do you want to learn how to avoid probate? Do you have questions about Social Security and Medicare? Is it important to you to make life as easy as possible on your spouse and loved ones if something should happen to you? This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham. Join me right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. for the Aging Hour, and let me show you how to set your family up for success in your retirement. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in Ferndale. Address is 5060 Pacific Highway Suite 101, Ferndale 98248. Our phone number 360-733-1200. And while I'm at it, check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. That's wealthwakeup.com. If incidentally you leave, go on to wealthwakeup.com, go over there under our podcast. Number one, you can hear replays of our shows. You also can uh, click on there and we'll have a lot of marketing material. I mentioned last week the uh, Secure Act 2.0 that was passed. Well, we have put a client-facing guide, an update of Secure 2.0 on our website. And it was attached to the omnibus bill that was signed into law on Friday, December 23rd. And we have a blog that was broadcasted on our site on Tuesday that Secure 2.0 Act aims to increase retirement savings for Americans. And there's also a downloadable guide that covers the provisions linked that is also on the website. And for those that really want to be educated on it, uh, Jamie Hopkins will host an all-client webinar on January 5th for our clients or anybody that would like that's this next Thursday. And that's to give an overview of what's changing and the promo materials we sent out to our clients in an email earlier this week. But if you're interested and want to know more about it, we can send you the link. You can give us a call at the office, 360-733-1200. And, of course, we're going to continue to monitor the bill and provide materials that will help explain the new rules to you. So big changes is coming as far as retirement uh, planning and having to take money out of your plan. For example, if you turn 72 next year, big change. You don't have to do any RMDs into 2024. You've got another year. Okay, let's continue on with these economic reports that we've been stacking up here that we didn't do last Sunday. Sunday, we're going to start out talking about November housing starts. And if you think the Fed tightening only destroys demand, you're missing the supply side of the equation. Housing starts continue to slow in November as relatively high mortgage rates and ongoing supply chain issues continue to weigh on builders. Looking at the details, a gain in the multi-unit construction was outweighed by a continued decline in single-family projects, which pulled the headline number into negative territory. 
It is clear that developers have become more cautious about future demand for single-family projects with 30-year mortgage rates near 6.5%. Instead, they are focusing on apartment buildings, and over the past year, single-family starts are down 32.1%, which is a sharp contrast to multi-unit built starts, which are up 23.3%. That groundbreaking on new residential projects is now down 20.9% from its peak earlier this year, Keep in mind that construction overall is hardly ground to a halt. Lots of projects are already in the pipeline, with the number of homes under construction at the highest level on record back to 1970. These figures demonstrate a slower construction process due to a lack of workers and other supply chain difficulties. And given that builders already have their hands full, it wasn't surprising to see permits on new projects fall 11.2% in November. Notably, the decline in permits was largely driven by multi-unit projects. Looking at the backlog of construction, homes that have all been been authorized but not yet started shows that multi-unit projects now outnumber single-family units in the pipeline of future activity. In another recent housing starts, home builder sentiment, as measured by the National Association of Home Builders Housing Index, continues to deteriorate. The index fell for a 12th consecutive month to 31 in December, which is the longest streak of declines on record. An index reading below 50 signals that more builders view conditions as poor versus good. The prime concern continues to be higher mortgage rates, which are having a negative impact on potential sales as certain buyers are at least temporarily priced out of the market, leaving some builders with a surplus of inventory. Housing isn't going to be a source of economic growth in the year ahead, but we do not expect housing busts nearly as harsh as it was in the 2000s. Unlike the previous housing bust, we do not have a massive oversupply of homes, and those who locked in fixed mortgage rates before this year are going to hold their homes dear to their hearts. And then let's talk about the new home sales. Uh, so we talked about homes and starts. Let's talk about new home sales. New home sales, surprise to the upside in November, rising for the second month in a row and signaling that activity may finally be destabilizing after falling for most of 2022. The main issue this year has been declining affordability, with potential buyers getting squeezed by both higher prices and rapidly rising mortgage rates. Assuming a 20% down payment and a change in mortgage rates and home prices since December of 21 amount to a 69% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median new home. No wonder sales have slowed down. With 30-year mortgage rates currently sitting around 6.5%, financing costs remain a headwind. However, it's important to note that mortgage rates have recently fallen roughly 80 basis points. That would be 8 tenths of 1% from the peak, while most of the decline occurring during November. So given that new home sales are a timely indicator of the housing market because they're calculated when contracts are signed, it's not surprising that we are seeing signs of life in the report which while sales of existing homes, which are counted when contracts are closed, continue to struggle. Another piece of good news is that while a lack of inventory has contributed to price gains in the past couple of years, and inventories did slip in November itself, inventories have made substantial gains versus a couple of years ago. The month's supply of new homes, which is how long it would take to sell a current inventory at today's sales price, is now 8.6 months, up significantly from the 3.3 months earlier in the pandemic. 
And while the month's supply of completed homes is still relatively low at 1.2 months, the inventory of completed single-family homes has begun to rise quite rapidly as builders finish more units and are rising cancellation rates on purchases leave potential buyers with more options. Though not a recipe for a significant rebound, the combination of moderating mortgage rates and more inventories should continue to put a floor under sales activity. But one problem with assessing housing activity is that the Federal Reserve held interest rates artificially low for more than a decade. With rates now in the more normal range, the sticker shock on mortgage rates for potential buyers is very real. However, we had a strong housing market with rates at current levels in the past, and home buyers will eventually adjust. And looking at the existing home sales report this week, they fell for the 10th consecutive month in November, posting the largest, longest streak of declines since records began in 1999. Falling affordability has played a major role in recent string of weak reports. The prime culprit is the surge in mortgage rates, with interest rates at a 30-year mortgage loans currently hovering near 6.5%. The good news is that the mortgage rates have recently fallen nearly 100 basis points, that would be 1%, which would could help stabilize sales in coming months. And while financing costs remain a burden, the good news for prospective buyers is that median prices fell for the fifth month in a row in November. Part of this is just seasonality, and even with recent declines, median prices are up 3.5% in the last year. However, that's a huge slowdown from the 25.2% peak in the 12-month comparison in May of 21. And when you do the math, it's not hard to see why home sales have slowed down. As I mentioned a minute ago, with a 20% down payment, the rise in rates and home prices since December of 21 amounts to about a 52% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage on a median existing homes. And the report also showed that the inventory of existing homes in the market remains tight. Available listings fell for the fourth month in a row, though they're up 2.7% from a year ago. The best way to look at the data given the seasonality of the housing market, that is that they are up a little bit. Given that homeowners locked in mortgage rates, I mentioned also on new homes, at rock bottom levels during the pandemic, potential sellers are unlikely to brave a 3% increase in financing costs by re-entering the market to trade up. Meanwhile, the month's supply of homes, which is how long it's going to take to sell an existing inventory at the current sales pace, remained unchanged at 3.3 in November. This reading remains well below the benchmark of 5 that the National Association of Realtors uses to denote a tight market. So despite the lack of options, homes that are put on the market are still selling quickly. 61% of existing homes sold on the market for less than a month. And while sales are clearly under pressure, it's not a repeat of 2007 and 9. And unlike the previous housing bust, we do not have a massive oversupply of homes. Meanwhile, a flood of new inventories hitting the market due to foreclosures remains unlikely. And adjustable rate mortgages make up a much smaller share of overall mortgages today than they did in leading up to the prior housing crisis. Many current homeowners have locked in fixed long-term mortgages, extremely low interest rates, which would make them very reluctant to default on their mortgage, even if the economy turns for the worst. Dick Donahue, Wealth Advisor, with you here at Sunday Morning yeah, on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. 
We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Keep up with what's happening in Linden with Bo Wild and the Linden Hometown News on KGMI. Further north on the guide, if you look back toward Linden's door, you'll see some clearing and some building going on. There is a fuel station and stores going in there. It's brought to you by Rustler's Front Street Grill and the Rusty Wagon in Linden. Stop by today for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Downtown on Front Street and on Hannigan, just north of Pole Road. Bo knows Linden and so will you with the Linden Hometown News. Mondays on the KGMI Morning. News. Enjoy your retirement at Meadow Greens, a retirement community offering warm, welcoming, independent, and assisted living apartments. Located on a premier golf course in beautiful Linden with panoramic views of green rolling hills and snow-capped mountains, Meadow Greens offers a fitness center, wellness programs, tailored social and recreational activities, and complimentary unlimited golf play with cart at Homestead Golf Club. One- and two-bedroom apartments with full kitchens are available, offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a more social meal at the Outward Nine Restaurant or the Duck Hook Bistro. Then relax with a glass of wine with or cozy up next to the fireplace with a good book in the library lounge. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. Is inflation leaving you feeling deflated? Invest in gold and silver. Protect your money and invest in something tangible at Bellingham Coin. Bellingham Coin Shop has the best prices and service in the industry, selling only the finest precious metals and coins. And they'll purchase that unwanted jewelry gathering dust on the dresser with free appraisal and consultation and quick cash in return. Come find your hidden treasures by visiting us at the Bellingham Coin Shop on Cornwall Avenue in Bellingham and at bellinghamcoin.com. What makes your team look more professional and carry a bold statement that they're proud to work for your company? A crisp company logoed shirt or uniform from Bergen. Sun is shining and I feel so good. Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery, heat application, screen printing, and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Your company apparel should reflect the standards of your business. And when your team wears Bergen's custom Customized apparel, it will. Bergen's new owners understand the importance of your image. They go the extra mile to provide crisp logo apparel. They guarantee that the order will be completed on time to your specifications with a smile. Elevate your company brand with Bergen Customized Company Apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags, and more, Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham and online at bergenembroidery.com. Hey, at our startup, my team and I move at the speed of tech 24-7. And every single day, it's information overload. It's coming at me from all directions. And you know what? Bottom line, I just need the news that matters. So where do I turn? Local radio and TV. I want to hear from people who live and work in my town. They give me the real story with information I know I can rely on. So where else can I find out what's happening in my community? weather and traffic, things that affect my family and my business. I want to stay informed by sources I trust, my local radio and TV stations, for the best entertainment, sports, news, traffic, and weather with no agenda and more reliable than other platforms. 
So if you ask me for the information I want anytime, anywhere, I stay local. Support your local station. Text RADIO to 52886 today. Furnished by the NAB and this station. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out. Many business owners, entrepreneurs, and independent contractors can't stop themselves from spending all the money as it comes in, then incurring debt to pay taxes and other obligations. Help is available now. Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step recovery program to help people and businesses stop incurring new unsecured debt. Request free program literature at helpfordebtors.org. That's helpfordebtors.org. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you Sunday morning. Wealth Advisor, Certified Financial Planner, Credit Investment Fiduciary. Again, we are Asset Advisors located out in Ferndale. We're going to continue with another economic report that came out for the last week or so. November's Personal Income and Consumption Report. And growth in consumer spending slowed in November following hot readings in each of the prior three months. Overall, consumer spending rose a tenth of 1% for the month, matching the one-tenth of 1% gain in consumer prices, which means consumers spent just enough to keep up with the pace inflation. Before diving into the details on the income and spending side, the PCE price data are sure to get the attention given that it's the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. The PCE prices rose a tenth of 1% in November. They are up 5.5% from a year ago. And core prices, which exclude food and energy, rose two-tenths of 1% in November, and they're up 4.7% from a year ago. And while the Fed will welcome the slowing of inflation on a 12-month basis, it is far too early to revise plans for rate hikes for the year ahead. Core prices dipped to 4.7% on a 12-month basis back in July, before bouncing back above 5% over the following months. And while goods prices are moderating up 6.1% from a year ago in November versus 10.6% in June, services prices continue to accelerate with little sign of easing. So speaking of services, consumer spending in November was led by a 7 tenths of 1% increase in spending on services, while spending on goods fell 1%. This divergence between services and goods is a trend that we expect will continue. Consider for a moment that from February of 2020 to December of that year, due to massive government stimulus and lockdowns, spending on goods rose by more than $300 billion, while spending on services fell by over $500 billion. This government-induced shift caused a massive reallocation of resources, employees, consumer dollars, and investment. So now as we return to more normal spending patterns, the good side of the economy will be trending slower while services continue to heal. Spending in November was supported by a four-tenths of one percent increase in incomes led by private sector wages and salaries which rose a half percent or up six and a half percent in the past year. 
In other news, durable goods orders fell 2.1% in November, and it's down 2.4%, including revisions for prior months. As commercial aircraft orders plummeted 36.4% from October levels, excluding transportation, durable goods orders rose two-tenths of 1% in November, and they're up 3.4% over the last year. So one of the most important pieces of news in the shipments of core non-defense capital goods except aircraft, which is a key input for the business investment in the calculation of GDP, declined a tenth of 1% in November. If that's unchanged in December, these orders would be up 5.7% annualized in the fourth quarter versus the third quarter, providing a tailwind for fourth quarter GDP, which for now looks to be coming in at roughly 1.5% on an annual rate. Well, you're going to love this one. Washington's estate, this is the state of Washington's estate tax, has been stuck at the same level since 2018. And why? That's because the index that it was pegged to is now what we call a dead index. In other words, the feds quit using that index. Therefore, the state of Washington has not increased the amount of our assets that are excluded from the state estate tax since 2018. So due to that quirk in the statutory language, the Washington State Department of Revenue will still be taxing estates as if they were based at the 2018 exemption. Not rate, not values, but at the 2018 exemption, which means whatever inflation we've had in the last four or five years, we're not getting that. So if we've had, say, 15% inflation and that exemption is $2 million, that exemption now should be at least $300,000 higher. It's not. So that means we're going to be paying higher effective tax rate on any estate inheritance from 2019 to present day. And it looks like it's going to continue at least all into next year. The taxable exemption, which has climbed yearly, rising from $2 million in 2013 to $2.19 million in 2018, was meant to continue to increase yearly with an index to inflation. Now, the federal exemption is over $11 million a person. The state exemption, of course, being two men, so they're going to get into your pocket. You, you look at what's happened with rising housing prices and stuff like this, look out, you're going to get taxed. So, however, the federal inflation metric statute, which uses an index, hasn't been published since 2018. So, due to inflationary language, or statutory language, which can only be changed by the legislature, Washington State residents are stuck with paying their estate taxes basically based on that 2018 exemption. First, the law was clearly planned to have an inflationary index. And second, by not indexing to inflation, this means that more taxpayers are being subject to the tax than originally intended. This is especially true considering the historic inflation and those high real estate values in the Puget Sound region. Beverly Critchfield, who's a communications consultant for the Washington State Department of Revenue, largely agreed. She's basically said that the legislature has been made aware of the CPI issue, that there was House bill introduced in the 21 session that included a fix for the CPI issue. issue. Note it was introduced, but never passed. But it also included changes in higher taxes overall to correct this lack of indexing problem for the estate tax. The legislature should pass a clean fix that simply restores a valid inflationary adjustment factor. 
and this issue is expected to be brought before the state legislature in the 2023 calendar year, which begins on January 9th. So if you have a chance to make some input with any of your legislators on this particular item, it might be really good that you find a way to get that information to them and say, hey, you know, I need to be protected because you do need to be protected. You know, I get questions all the time because I talk about Social Security here on the air, and I had a question about uh, when will I receive my Social Security COLA in my benefit check? And basically, he said that I in 2023, he had met two milestones, uh, or will meet, I should say. First, he turned 70 next October. He's going to file for Social Security benefits. Secondly, it'll be his 35th year of reaching maximum earnings subject to payroll taxes. And he wanted to know if he was correct in assuming that his first few checks will be just short of the Social Security maximum and when and how they'll be adjusted to reflect one more year of higher earnings. Will COLA increase in 2024 be calculated on the maximum or again will there be an adjustment needed? And he also said that I recognize that the absolute dollar amount that we're talking about here is almost negligible. But I've played by the rules my entire working career, and when I qualify for the group that receives the highest Social Security, not only a few thousand dollars, no, I want to know what I'm getting and make sure I'm getting it. Well, the answer to this is, is that Social Security bases its calculation on the highest 35 years of earnings. Basically, he indicated that he will meet the criteria of 35 maximum earnings years so that he's reflected in this calculation. So the maximum benefit at age 70 for this year, 2022, was $4,194. And with the cost of living adjustment for next year at 8.7%, the maximum benefit at age 70 is going to go up to $4,558 a month. And basically, we told him that you can start the process of applying for Social Security about 90 days before that you intend to start it and indicate the date that you want benefits to start. And that way, Social Security can process the payment based on earnings history and be ready to start paying in the month after that 70th birthday. And in this case, if the caller also wants to start collecting November 1st, which is when Social Security would start after the 70th birthday in October, then the 2023 COLA will be in the calculation. The 2024 COLA would start in January on benefits started in November of 2023. So basically we're saying that they will go ahead and calculate that change. But think about somebody getting, I've been talking here in this next segment a little bit about how Social Security benefits could be cut 23% if Congress doesn't get off their butt and do something about changing the law. But in this case, $4,558 a month is what that person would expect in that first check coming in November. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up on KGMI. We're going to be right back. This is Russ at Linden Manor Assisted Living. While the world has changed, the needs of our seniors have not. At Linden Manor, we offer independent and assisted living, as well as memory care. It's your private apartment. You don't live at our work, we work in your home. We have 24-hour nursing staff, weekly housekeeping, three daily meals, on-site beauty salon, and activities to keep both mind and body young. Find value in community living. Visit our website at lindenmanor.com or call Janet for more information. Borthwick Jewelry wants to thank you for shopping here this year. Being a small business, you have helped the local families. After almost 20 years in business, you, our customers, are the most important thing to us. We care and want the best for everyone each year. 
We donate several items to over 40 charity auctions. On our website, you can see a full list of our charity donations. We feel this helps the community as a small way of Borthwick Jewelry saying thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and thank you again for shopping at Borthwick Jewelry, home of the Diamond King. Honey, look what I brought home. Not a cat. You know I'm allergic. Well, you know what they say. When the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> Why didn't you just call Biobug? Have you had enough of playing cat and mouse? Biobug Pest Management is here to help. Whether you have rats or mice in your business, residence, or commercial building, Biobug is committed to providing a solution that's right for you. To learn more and get your free quote, visit Biobug.com. Biobug Pest Management. Service you trust, experience you expect. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Once again, Dick Donahue with you, and I do want to wish everybody a happy new year. I hope that we everything meets all your happy expectations. You've had a great Christmas season with your family, and we're certainly looking forward to continuing to have this. I mentioned earlier at the start of the second segment about our availability of of our breakdown on the Secure 2.0 Act on our website at wealthwakeup.com. And again, of course, you can always go to our podcast, listen to our replay on the radio shows, which I mentioned. And if you check under Insights, basically, you'll see the the podcast there. And I also mentioned, of course, uh, next uh, Thursday, Jamie Hopkins will be doing a, a webinar that we're more than happy to give you a link to. You can give us a call here at the office, 360-733-1200. We're talking about the Secure 2.0. One of the big things to talk about, as I mentioned earlier today, was the RMD requirement as far as your required minimum distributions that you need to take out of your retirement or out of your IRAs. And basically, if your year of birth was 1950 and earlier, then you reach 72 this year, I'm sorry, last year now, 2023 or earlier, you must continue. If you've already started those RMDs, you have to continue to take them. Now, if your year of birth is between 1951 and 59, you'll reach 72 after 2022, and you'll reach 73 before 2033, your RMDs need to begin at age 73. And then if you're born from 59 and later, you reach 78, 74 in 2033 or later, then you can wait until you're age 75. There's a little bit of an overlap for 2033 between those born in 1959 because they could fall into either the second between 1951 and 59 or 59 and later. So if you've got questions about that, you can always give me a call, sit down and explain it to you. You know, how should J and Gen Z prepare their finances for this year? The Generation Z is dawning to think about saving, investing, and planning for retirement. As young workers start their careers, the stock and barred markets have been in turmoil, with the S&P 500 headed for its worst annual performance since 2008. 
a recession is looming. Wages haven't kept pace with inflation. Credit card debt and interest rates are rising. Housing costs have surged. And a massive retirement savings shortfall has gotten worse. For Gen Z, the start of a new year is a good time to do a financial health check. We recommend sketching out a roadmap that balances immediate money goals while also keeping an eye on saving for retirement, even if it's decades away. So here are five things that young people should do to get their finances in order for 2023. First of all, create a personal balance sheet. These days, people are rarely looking at all their income, their investments, and expenses in the same place. So before you make any financial decisions, you need to have a thorough and holistic understanding of where you stand. That involves carefully tabulating all of your transactions and paying special attention to things like interest rates and reoccurring subscriptions. People should also factor in any major anticipated expenses such as moving or a vacation and building short-term savings plans accordingly. Then there's emergency savings. The rule of thumb for savings is to have three to six months worth of expenses set aside for emergencies, especially if you're worried about job stability and an economic downturn. And if you're employed, make sure your financial health is in order, like having a cash reserve built before you pay off debt. And while it may seem counterintuitive to save before paying off loans, not doing so could push you deeper into debt or force you to sell investments that could have helped you in the long run. Number three is plan for retirement. Many companies automatically enroll employees into a 401k retirement savings plan or nonprofit companies. A 403b and young people should take full advantage of any employer matching that is available. In an ideal world, you'll put between 10 and 15% of your monthly income into a savings plan. And if that isn't feasible right now, even 1% to 2% is going to make a big difference in the long run. Number four, pay down your debt. Personal debt from student loans or credit cards is not just a financial strain. It affects your credit score and therefore your ability to apply for credit cards and mortgages. So people looking to pay down debt should focus on what carries their highest interest rates. So you can make a list of those, and I suggest take your extra money, you make a list, and you start paying extra money on that highest interest rate, then you go to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, until you're successful at paying them off. And just keep moving that balance. Once you pay one off, you take that money, apply it to the next one, next highest interest rate, and then you do it the other way. The other way that I've seen people do it is they go out there and they'll take the lowest balance just feeling like they want more rapid success, so they'll apply money to the, to the lowest balance, pay it off, and then they jump to the next one and the next one. And the average interest, annual interest rate for credit cards is above 19% this year, driven by aggressive rate hikes by the Federal Reserve in an attempt to combat inflation. Short-term financing schemes like buy now, pay later, which are risky by popular option given Gen Z, can result in rapidly accruing loan balances and damage your credit scores. Number five is diversify. For those that are looking to invest, whether for retirement or more generally, the most important decision to make is their asset allocation. The distribution of their investments between bonds, which tend to be more stable, and equities, which are riskier but may pay bigger returns over a period of time. Every individual needs to determine their own risk tolerance by identifying their trigger points. How much of a loss can they tolerate before they feel the need to take action? 
Investments should be spread across companies of various size and sectors. And riskier assets, which also include many of the meme stocks and options trading, are not necessarily red flags, but they shouldn't comprise more than 5 to 10% of your investment portfolio. Something for you to pay attention to. Talked a little earlier about taking Social Security. Well, if something isn't done, the new report says that we expect benefit cuts of 23%. There's four other things you need to know about government's new Social Security projections. There's a new Congressional Budget Office report that projects an even more dire outlook for Social Security's future than was previously calculated. Without action to fix the situation, huge benefit cuts for recipients are going to begin in 2033. That's 10 years from now. And preventing those cuts will require massive tax increases for working Americans beginning immediately. In contrast to Social Security trustees' own projections, the CBO estimates that Social Security combined retirement and disability insurance programs will run out of money two years early in 2033 instead of 2035. And the tax increases necessary to fund the scheduled benefits are higher than Social Security projected. Social Security is projecting 3.24%. Well, the Congressional Budget Office says it needs to be at least 4.9%. The divergence comes from the different economic and demographic assumptions in which of the CBOs are significantly more realistic. For example, the CBO uses a lower fertility rate that is more in line with current trends, while the trustees of Social Security assume fertility rates are going to significantly increase. That's not what's happening. Fertility rate is the total number of births a year per thousand women of reproductive age. The trustees also assume only a 4.5% price inflation this year, 2.3% next year, while the CBO accounted for all of the recent 8.7% cost of living increase for 2023. With the set of projections, Social Security's future is not secure. The program is running out of time and money. Recent increases in government spending and debt have crowded out options for that for reform. Virtually all Americans stand to lose from a policymaker's inaction. Americans deserve to know the truth about Social Security's future so that they can assess their best options for reform. The CBO office reveals five hard truths. Number one, Social Security has a spending problem. Social Security started out as a 2% tax. The program promised to never take more than 6% of a worker's paycheck. But today, it takes 12.4%, half from the employee and half from the employer. And even that falls short of the program's ever-rising costs. The Congressional Budget Office predicts that the Social Security's cost will increase by 42% over the next 75 years as its revenues remain stable. So protecting Social Security requires reining in excessive cost growth. Number two, inaction means benefit cuts of 23% beginning in 10 years from now, 2033. Current law requires that Social Security benefits come from within the program. So once the trust fund runs dry, Social Security will be only able to pay the benefits as much as it receives in taxes. That'll mean a roughly $5,000 cut in annual benefits for a typical retiree and about $4,000 less for the average disability beneficiary. No one, not even 98-year-olds, will be exempt from these cuts. Number three, anyone who is 56 years old or younger 
it hasn't received a full benefit. Anyone that is 56 or younger today will not reach Social Security's full retirement age, normal retirement age of 67 before the program runs out of money. Anyone who's currently between the ages of 57 and 107 today is still alive and collecting benefits in 2033 is also going to be subject to big benefit cuts. And number four, younger workers have the most to lose. If policymakers fail to end benefit cuts in 2023, the CBO estimates that the people born in 1960s will experience a 19% reduction in their lifetime benefits. Those born in the 70s are going to experience a 26% reduction. Those born in the 80s and 90s are going to experience a 27% reduction. And research shows that Social Security is an especially raw deal for younger workers who have to put their money into a broken system instead of savings accounts that would generate positive returns. The average worker could have three times as much retirement income if they've been able on their own to invest their Social Security taxes. Even the lowest income workers could have up to 40% more. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. The first one is Mark. Mark's age 23 has an income of $60,006. His lifetime payments into Social Security are going to be $547,088. If he were to take his Social Security benefit based on the objections we have now, he'd get $2,209. If he had a monthly annuity, he would have over $1,563,000 in value in a lump sum or a monthly annuity of over $6,185. Now, I also had another example for Ashley, who only made 19000 but her monthly benefit would be resumed. He'd pay in 119000 monthly benefit of 902000 annuity 1262 and a value of 355000 So, anyway, got to go. Running out of time here. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here in KGMI this Sunday morning. Got questions for me? Give me a call, 360-733-1200. And don't forget our live show on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Thanks. Happy New Year. Have a great weekend. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.